Chapter Thirty One of Treasure Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter Thirty One The Treasure Hunt. Flint's Pointer. Jim, said Silver when we were alone, if I saved your life, you saved mine, and I'll not forget it. I seen the doctor waving you to run for it, with the tail of my eye I did, and I seen you say no, as plain as hearin. Jim, that's one to you. This is the first glint of hope I had since the attack failed, and I owe it you. And now, Jim, we're to go in for this here treasure hunting, with sealed orders, too, and I don't like it. And you and me must stick close, back to back like, and we'll save our necks in spite of fate and fortune. Just then, a man hailed us from the fire that breakfast was ready, and we were soon seated here and there about the sand, over biscuit and fried junk. They had lit a fire fit to roast an ox, and it was now grown so hot that they could only approach it from the windward, and even there not without precaution. In the same wasteful spirit they had cooked, I suppose, three times more than we could eat, and one of them, with an empty laugh, threw what was left into the fire, which blazed and roared again over this unusual fuel. I never in my life saw men so careless of the morrow, hand to mouth is the only word that can describe their way of doing, and what with wasted food and sleeping sentries, though they were bold enough for a brush and to be done with it, I could see their entire unfitness for anything like a prolonged campaign. Even Silver, eating away with Captain Flint upon his shoulder, had not a word of blame for their recklessness, and this the more surprised me, for I thought he had never shown himself so cunning as he did then. Aye, mates, said he. It's lucky you have barbecue to think for you with this here head. I got what I wanted, I did. Sure enough, they'll have the ship. Where they have it, I don't know yet. But once we hit the treasure, we'll have to jump about and find out. And then, mates, us that has the boats, I reckon, has the upper hand. Thus he kept running on, with his mouth full of hot bacon. Thus he restored their hope and confidence, and, I more than suspect, repaired his own at the same time. As for hostage, he continued, that's his last talk, I guess, with them he loves so dear. I've got my piece of news, and thank ye to him for that, but it's over and done. I'll take him in a line when we go treasure hunting, for we'll keep him like so much gold, in case of accidents, you mark, and in the meantime. Once we get the ship and treasure both, and off to sea like jolly companions, why, then we'll talk Mr. Hawkins over, we will, and we'll give him his share, to be sure, for all his kindness. It was no wonder the men were in a good humor now. For my part, I was horribly cast down. Should the scheme he had now sketched prove feasible, Silver, already doubly a traitor, would not hesitate to adopt it. He still had a foot in either camp, and there was no doubt he would prefer wealth and freedom with the pirates to a bare escape from hanging, which was the best he had to hope on our side. Nay, and even if things so fell out that he was forced to keep his faith with Dr. Livesey, even then what danger lay before us? What a moment that would be when the suspicions of his followers turned to certainty, and he and I should have to fight for dear life, he a cripple and I a boy, against five strong and active seamen. Add to this double apprehension the mystery that still hung over the behavior of my friends, their unexplained desertion of the stockade, their inexplicable session of the chart, or, harder still to understand, the doctor's last warning to Silver. Look out for squalls when you find it, 
and you will readily believe how little taste I found in my breakfast, and with how uneasy a heart I set forth behind my captors on the quest for treasure. We made a curious figure, had any one been there to see us, all in soiled sailor clothes, and all but me armed to the teeth. Silver had two guns slung about him, one before and one behind, besides the great cutlass at his waist, and a pistol in each pocket of his square-tailed coat. To complete his strange appearance, Captain Flint sat perched upon his shoulder, and gabbled odds and ends of purposeless sea-talk. I had a line about my waist, and followed obediently after the sea-cook, who held the loose end of the rope, now in his free hand, now between his powerful teeth. For all the world I was led like a dancing bear. The other men were variously burdened, some carrying picks and shovels, for that had been the very first necessary they brought ashore from the Hispaniola, others laden with pork, bread, and brandy for the midday meal. All the stores, I observed, came from our stock, and I could see the truth of Silver's words the night before. Had he not struck a bargain with the doctor, he and his mutineers, deserted by the ship, must have been driven to subsist on clear water and the proceeds of their hunting. Water would have been little to their taste. A sailor is not usually a good shot, and besides all that, when they were so short of eatables, it was not likely they would be very flush of powder. Well, thus equipped we all set out, even the fellow with the broken head, who should certainly have been kept in shadow, and straggled one after another to the beach, where two gigs awaited us. Even these bore traces of the drunken folly of the pirates, one in a broken thwart, and both in their muddy and unveiled condition. Both were to be carried along with us for the sake of safety, and so, with our numbers divided between them, we set forth upon the bosom of the anchorage. As we pulled over, there was some discussion on the chart. The Red Cross was, of course, far too large to be a guide, and the terms of the note on the back, as you will hear, admitted of some ambiguity. They ran, the reader may remember, thus. Tall tree, spyglass shoulder, bearing a point to the north of north-northeast. Skeleton island, east-southeast, and by east, ten feet. A tall tree was thus the principal mark. Now right before us the anchorage was bounded by a plateau from two to three hundred feet high, adjoining on the north the sloping southern shoulder of the spyglass, and rising again towards the south in the rough cliffy eminence called the mizzenmast hill. The top of the plateau was dotted thickly with pine trees of varying height. Every here and there, one of a different species rose forty or fifty feet clear above its neighbors, and which of these was the particular tall tree of Captain Flint could only be decided on the spot, and by the readings of the compass. Yet, although that was the case, every man on board the boats had picked a favorite of his own ere we were halfway over, Long John alone shrugging his shoulders, and bidding them wait till they were there. We pulled easily, by Silver's directions, not to weary the hands prematurely, and after quite a long passage landed at the mouth of the second river that which runs down a woody cleft of the spyglass. Thence, bending to our left, we began to ascend the slope towards the plateau. At the first outset, heavy, miry ground and a matted, marish vegetation greatly delayed our progress, but little by little the hill began to steepen and become stony underfoot, and the wood to change its character and to grow in a more open order. It was, indeed, a most pleasant portion of the island that we were now approaching, a heavy-scented broom and many flowering shrubs had almost taken the place of grass. Thickets of green nutmeg trees were dotted here and there, with the red columns and broad shadow of the pines, and the first mingled their spice with the aroma of the others. The air, besides, was fresh and stirring, and this, under the sheer sunbeams, was a wonderful refreshment to our senses. The party spread itself abroad in a fan-shape, shouting and leaping to and fro. About the centre, and a good way behind the rest, Silver and I followed 
i tethered by my rope he ploughing with deep pants among the sliding gravel from time to time indeed i had to lend him a hand or he must have missed his footing and fallen backward down the hill we had thus proceeded for about half a mile and were approaching the brow of the plateau when the man upon the farthest left began to cry aloud as if in terror shout after shout came from him and the others began to run in his direction he can't have found the treasure said old morgan hurrying past us from the right for that's clean atop indeed as we found when we also reached the spot it was something very different at the foot of a pretty big pine and involved in a green creeper which had even partly lifted some of the smaller bones a human skeleton lay with a few shreds of clothing on the ground i believe a chill struck for a moment to every heart he was a seaman said george mary who bolder than the rest had gone up close and was examining the rags of clothing leastways this is good sea cloth ay ay said silver like enough you wouldn't look to find a bishop here i reckon but what sort of a way is that for bones to lie taint in nature indeed on a second glance it seemed impossible to fancy that the body was in a natural position but for some disarray the work perhaps of the birds that had fed upon him or of the slow-growing creeper that had gradually enveloped his remains the man lay perfectly straight his feet pointing in one direction his hands raised above his head like a diver's pointing directly in the opposite i've taken a notion into my old numbskull observed silver here's the compass there's the tip-top print of skelton island sticking out like a tooth just take a bearing will you along the line to them bones it was done the body pointed straight in the direction of the island and the compass read duly east southeast and by east i thought so cried the cook this here is a pointer right up there is our line for the pole star and the jolly dollars but by thunder if it don't make me cold inside to think of flint this is one of his jokes and no mistake him and these six were alone here he killed em every man and this one he hauled here and laid down by compass shiver my timbers they're long bones and the hair's been yellow ay that would be allardyce you mind allardyce tom morgan ay ay returned morgan i mind him he owed me money he did and he took my knife ashore with him speaking of knives said another why don't we find his in lying around flint weren't the man to pick a seaman's pocket and the birds i guess would leave it be by the powers and that's true cried silver there ain't a thing left here said mary still feeling round among the bones not a copper doit nor a backy box don't look natural to me no by gum it don't agreed silver not natural nor not nice says you great guns messmates but if flint was livin this would be a hot spot for you and me six they were and six are we and bones is what they are now i saw him dead with these ere deadlights said morgan billy took me in there he laid with penny pieces on his eyes dead ay sure enough he's dead and gone below said the fellow with the bandage but if ever spirit walked it would be flint dear horse but he died bad did flint ay that he did observed another now he raged and now he hollered for the rum and now he sang fifteen men were his only song mates and i tell you true i never rightly liked to hear it since 
It was main hot, and the windy was opened, and I hear that old song coming out as clear as clear, and the death hall on the man already. Come, come, said Silver. Stow this talk. He's dead and he don't walk, that I know. Leastways, he won't walk by day, and you may lay to that. Care killed a cat. Fetch a head for the doubloons. We started, certainly, but in spite of the hot sun and the staring daylight, the pirates no longer ran separate and shouting through the woods, but kept side by side and spoke with bated breath. The terror of the dead buccaneer had fallen on their spirits. End of chapter 31